Trading Nut, episode 10. How sexy is that? Like, there's a gatekeeper that says this is only for the millionaires. And who's, who doesn't want to be into the only millionaires club? The market's going to do something. Your job is not to fight it. The market never, ever runs away. It's always there. That personal diary of trading will make you a much better trader than I could be right about the direction, but wrong about the trade. Don't focus on the monetary side. Trying to make too much money on a trade is what I have seen killed every trader. Your losses offer you some of the greatest insight you can find into your mistakes. Relax, learn the process. Candlestick pattern trading is a freaking trap. Don't be in a rush to become a millionaire. Let the market tell you what the market wants to tell you. This podcast is not financial, trading, or investing advice of any kind. What's up, traders? Welcome to another installment of the Trading Up Podcast. I'm your host, Cam Hawkins, and today I'm talking to Daniel Amaduri. Now, it's a different kind of show from what I normally go through because Daniel's a different kind of trader, and I suppose he's he's got a very unique way that he approaches uh, the markets, and you're going to hear that today, and it's a unique way that not a lot of people know about, and I suppose it's a it's another sort of it's a it's a what do you call it it's a string to your bow um you can basically pull this out when you're at a certain point and you sort of think you know when you need actually you'll know when you're you're at this point but what we do go into is a lot of interesting stuff we actually talk about uh cannabis blockchain um we go into detail around this unique technique that he uses to basically make millions okay make millions so you're going to hear this technique you're going to hear how he found out about this technique and who he found this technique from and and the steps that he took which does really sort of come back to some stuff that we can apply here in terms of our approach to everything that we do not just with trading but pretty much everything in your life okay so some real good life lessons in here absolutely fascinating interview with Daniel we're going to hear that in a second but before we do, I just want to let you know that the gold membership is now gone. It's locked down. It's closed. It's been replaced by something else. Um, but if you got in at the gold, you you got the best deal. So pat yourself on the back. You did really well there. Now, what I've got here is something a little bit different from gold. Um, it's basically a simple way to harness the money-making expertise of the world's top financial traders. And it's, I'm calling it the Robot Traders Club. So if you want to jump on and find out more about this, what you're going to find there is information about the Robot Traders Club, but you're also going to find an amazing bonus. There's actually a couple of bonuses, but one of them is phenomenal. So if you guys want to jump on there, check out the bonus. I might reveal what it is in a future show, but for now you're going to have to jump on the internet, tradingnut.com, and check it out to find out what that amazing bonus is. And I don't know how long it's going to be there for as well. So guys, Please, I do urge you, if you do want to get some something that's going to advance your trading, um, not just the Robot Traders Club, but this second bonus as well, then jump on there, tradingnut.com. You're going to find links to it there as well. So, folks, without further ado, let's get on with the show. All right, folks, we've got Daniel Amaduri on the show here. Daniel, how's it going over there? Well, actually, where are you based? I don't even think we sort of worked that out. We're we're uh, in Austin, Texas. Ah, that's right, Austin, Texas. Uh, I've always, fa- I suppose, suppose being a bit fascinated with that place. I don't know why, but what's it like living there? I love it. I mean, I love the food. I'm a total foodie, so they got they got me there. I'm originally from Southern California, so the weather is is not 
out that far from Southern California on the uh, inland California. So um, the weather feels pretty good to me too. Cool. Well, um, it's one of these places I think I just have to visit. I know you've got that sort of big uh, South by Southwest, I think, conference over there. Or I've heard of that in the past. And um, it's one of these places I've always thought. And, and the, the other thing, I, I know that you've got bats under the bridge. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. And it's one of those things where the tourists love coming to see them, but you really just want to do it once because uh, about 2 million bats come out from one bridge. we got bats all over, but this one bridge has 2 million female bats and their babies. And they come out every night around dusk, and um, it smells like piss as they fly away. You just <laughs> yeah. never want to experience it again, but uh, it's fun for the kids. Two million bats, that's a lot. Right, um, talking about numbers, uh, I, I mean, actually, I think you've got the word million on your site now that I've got it up in front of me, but um, we're going to get into your story today, and then it's going to be a slightly different show to what uh, we normally have listeners because um, I suppose Daniel takes a slightly different angle at at um, putting his money to work for him, and we're going to hear how he does that. And we're actually going to sort of dive a bit deeper into cryptos as well. So if you guys are crypto sort of fanatics or want to get a bit more of an insight into that, then um, we're going to talk about that as well. So so da- uh, Daniel's website's Future Money Trends, which I suppose tells you gives you a bit of an idea as to as to what. Uh, your expertise is there, Daniel. So let's start off by going all the way back to, to where, how you got into this and, and your journey so far. You know, I was always interested in investing. And uh, even as a teenager, I was reading Kiyosaki at 13, going to Barnes & Noble, reading all the day trading books, investment books, how to buy stocks. Uh, my father helped me buy a business, buy into a par- partial owner into, into a gym at 16. I bought my first rental property at 18. Uh, bought, you know, started buying stocks right away, went through all the normal mistakes that everybody that gets themselves involved in stocks does, you know, bought, uh, you know, at 18 years old was buying tech mutual funds in 2000 at the top and then selling them after 9-11 at the bottom. And it was just, you know, normal stuff, right? And then you get into individual stocks and just just making the common mistakes of uh, traders. And, um, you know, luckily I, I was successful in real estate. But I really didn't become a serious investor in stocks where I started to be able to make millions of dollars uh, until I was introduced into something called private placements, which is quite foreign to many people. But it is um, it is the way it is my bread and butter way of how I make money. Cool. Private placements. All right. So so do you want to sort of, I suppose, even even talk to us about how you actually discovered this and and, uh, and then got into it? OK, so that's fun because. Uh, I actually was, uh, I had a, during the 2008 crisis, I turned into a crazy gold bug. And if anybody doesn't know what that is, that just means that I was, I just wanted to own as much gold as I could uh, because I thought the world was going to collapse. And um, so I was buying a lot of gold. And then of course that ultimately will lead you to the mining sector. And I would look at like a 20 or 30 year chart of the mining stocks. And I was like, wow, these are horrible investments. These are like the worst um, you could buy Barrett Gold, and 20 years later, you haven't made a penny. Um, and then I thought about it logically. I was like, wow, it's, it's even worse when you think about it because they're taking the gold out of the ground and getting rid of it. Problem is, is once it's out of the ground, there's less of it in that mine, and then eventually it actually goes away. So I realized, well, man, if I wanted to have some gold stocks, definitely don't want to own the big ones. Um, and, and then I ultimately stumbled across the penny stocks, which a lot of us get attracted to because, of course, you can envision – uh, you know, glory 
making a million dollars off 5,000 bucks. And, um, you know, the, then, then the, uh, the more foreign it is to you, the, the sexier it is. So I was really into these things. So I started buying a ton of these penny stocks. And I actually made some money from 2009 to 2011, made a good amount of money in, uh, in, in the precious metals mining sector. And I, I ended up meeting a, a guy by the name of Marin Katusa. Uh, he's a big hedge fund manager in the resource space. And uh, he's kind of like the who's who in, in uh, Vancouver for these type of deals. And he introduced me really to the, to the private placement. And I, and that's how I ended up buying into these. And, um, you know, you're supposed to be a credit investor. I did it even when I wasn't, um, I'm not advocating for that and would never recommend anybody do the same, but look, it was as easy as, um, you know, filling out some form, basic forms. And, uh, you had to declare you were a millionaire and that was a lie at the time, <laughs> not no longer a lie now, but you know, I wanted to be in the game. And of course, how sexy is that? Like, there's a gatekeeper that says this is only for the millionaires. And who's, who doesn't want to be into the only millionaires club? So I was like, well, whatever they're hiding and whatever they don't want me involved in, I definitely want to be involved in it. And I, that's how I started to do private placements. And then from there, would start to learn some, some strategies, had some success, had some failures, and really fine-tuned it over the last five to ten or uh, five, six years here. So, so how did you meet this uh, this hedge fund manager? Was that a, an introduction from a friend or a chance meeting? It was a chance meeting at a conference. Um, so, you know, I was I was at I was going to these gold conferences and the money show, investment conferences, any any conference I could about stocks or investing or precious metals. And it was at a precious metals summit that I met him, and um, you know, just started talking to him and spending some time with him for about an hour. Now him and I are good friends, but uh, you know, at the time, you know, he was just telling me, he's like, look, here's what you need to do. You need to get involved in the private placements. These are the rounds that fund the companies just so people, you've never heard of this. This is essentially for startup companies or early stage companies that need funding. And essentially you're buying stock and they issue it straight from the treasury uh, typically, especially in uh, the Canadian markets where I'm mainly focused on, the uh, there's a four-month hold. So these are definitely not day trades. You know, I'm wiring them money, and I, they issue me stock. Uh, I try to only do it when they issue me stock and a warrant, which is the best strategy you can have, in my opinion, because the warrant gives you an option to buy the stock in the future, uh, at a certain price uh, without obligation. So many of my warrants may expire worthless like a call option, uh, and some of them I can exercise uh, just like a call option. But the nice thing is, is it's there. And so uh, typically in financings, I'll give you an easy example. If the company is trading for 50 cents, the financing might be for 40 cents with a 75 cent warrant. Uh, so you're getting shares at a cheaper cost than the market, uh, but you're, of course, you have to wait for four months. And with a penny stock, that is extremely speculative. Uh, if everything works out just perfectly, at the end of the four months, you're able to sell your stock and reimburse yourself for what you put in, and then you ride the warrant. So the, the strategy that I use is you sell the shares, you ride the warrant. So what I have is, you know, three to five year warrants, three to five year call options. Just think of it like that. And, um, you know, if the stock goes to 10 bucks or five bucks, 
I can exercise the warrants and, and make a nice profit. But if the stock goes to 20 cents or zero, um, I don't have any obligation to do anything with those warrants. They can just simply expire worthless. And some stuff, many companies actually, uh, the more sophisticated ones, which are the ones you want to invest in, their warrants are actually tradable. So you can actually trade the stock and the warrants. There's a, you know, let's say if the warrant's 75 cents and the stock is trading for $1.50, that would be a very liquid warrant market that you could actually trade into. Uh, so those are, those are, that is the main strategy that I started to use and, and adopt. And then over the past two years, I've been very lucky to be able to invest in uh, companies that are pre-public. And those are where you're actually able to finance them uh, at a very early stage, but they might take three or four years to pay off because they might take a year to even go public. So now you're not able to sell your stock until the uh, until the IPO round. Well, cool. So it's a, it's, it's quite a different uh, approach from what the guys who are typically listening to the show and um, are aware of. So let's dive into it a little bit deeper. Like, I mean, how much would you be having to invest for this, you know, four month minimum period? So the, the minimum is as low as $10,000. Uh, but typically, I think to be, if you're, if you're approaching it as a stranger to this industry, you're probably going to want to have at least $25,000 and even fifty dollars to $100,000 because these companies all are starved for capital. They need the money. Uh, so they're not going to turn people down. But at the same point in time, uh, there is a certain process and legal fees, so they don't want to, to, to you know, they don't want a thousand people at ten thousand dollars. They'd rather have you know a hundred people with uh, you know a variation of you know ten to fifty, hundred thousand uh, dollar allocations. And what it is is if if you're new to this and you're interested in it, you have two options. You can either you can either contact uh, a specific brokerage firm that funds these type of businesses. So for example, there is in the resource space, there's a company called Sprott Global or Sprott USA, and they regularly do this. And if you put your money with them, they can easily get you into into private placements. Now, if you wanted to do it on your own, uh, it's a matter of finding the company that you'd like to fund, calling them up, the IR guy. And I know that seems like, oh, how would, why would they ever answer? But we're not calling Johnson & Johnson. The CEO might answer the phone. That's how small these companies are. Um, and you're telling them, hey, I'm interested in doing, uh, participating in a private placement when you guys do one. And they'll, they might say, hey, we're, we're getting ready to do one in a month or we're getting ready to do one in six months. And just say, hey, put me on that list. And they'll usually add you to the list. And, no, you know, they don't really give you a problem. You'll have to fill out a subdoc, which shows that you're an accredited investor, wire the money, and then they actually issue you physical certs. So everybody's heard of this when you learn about stocks, but you'll actually receive a physical certificate. And then it's a matter of depositing it at your brokerage firm. And, you know, I I use companies like Haywood or Raymond James or Sprott. And, you know, you need, you know, your online E-Trade is probably not going to deposit a stock certificate for you, but there are many brokerages that will. Um, And that's how you can get started. But, you know, the important thing is that you vet the company and you know what you're investing in, um, which I'm sure we'll get into in this in, in your interview. Yeah, so so I suppose, I mean, it sort of takes me back to my days, which was actually wasn't that long ago, maybe two years ago, when I was working for a startup and sort of got a good view of the inside of one of these, you know, outfits where it's extremely high risk, but obviously also potential for, for high growth as well. Um, 
so how do you, I suppose, how do we go about picking a worthy investment? Because look, when I was there, I mean, we were we were doing, um, we were tapped into to Facebook and Twitter and Instagram feeds, and we had major competitors in the states. So this was a, a firm based in New Zealand. And our, our thing was two, and then it went to three major competitors who were, were very big players, all got shut off by Facebook and Twitter, and, and obviously Instagram as well. So so literally their businesses died overnight, and they'd had, they'd had millions, tens and tens of millions pumped into them, these startups, because it was sort of like the new, uh, new way of monitoring social media. And yeah, basically these businesses just disappeared overnight whilst I was there. Sort of made me quite sort of wary of of this, you know, the high risk that comes with this. I mean, the one that I actually did work for is still around, so there are ways to pivot and and avoid, you know, being noticed. But the question I've got for you is, how do these guys, how do guys go about? Would they go about a finding the companies and b um, picking good ones? So it is very speculative. Uh, and, you know, I have participated in three sectors. Uh, I, I have obviously done the natural resource space, which is your commodity type companies. I've done blockchain private placements, and I've done a ton of cannabis ones. And in each of the case, I think you want to start with the people um, because you have so much management risk in a startup uh, that, you know, I, I don't even think about the assets until I find the right people and work it backwards. And the best strategy that I have used is to only work with people who've already uh, successfully done what they do. Uh, so, for example, in, in, in the mining space, if you're interested in, in, in speculating in a silver or gold mine, um, I would not speculate with uh, a group of people who are our accountants and attorneys and they know all the ways to set up a publicly traded company and they have a grand vision uh, but they've never actually done this they've never exited a successful deal you need to write those people off immediately it's very difficult right because you're speculating anyway you're like well, what's the point of you know you know doing this if I'm not gonna if I'm not gonna um, go for the, the the big grand slam but you have to keep in mind that most of these companies will not do well, and most of them, uh, when they enter the public markets, if not sophisticated, they will not have the liquidity to even help the people who invested in the company anyway. So you're looking for very sophisticated people who know how to run a public company and know how to build a business. And the only way to, to find these people are to find people who have successfully exited something recently in the past one to five years. Obviously, if you can find somebody who's exited twice, that's even better. Uh, one of the guys that I uh, got behind was a guy by the name of Keith Newmeyer. He did First Quantum Minerals, which was a copper company in, in, the, in the 1990s. Then he did First Majestic Silver, which is on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, he did that in the, in the early 2000s. And then he started a new gold company about three years ago. And I invested in it and did the private placement uh, with him because he's already done – he's already taken two companies from zero to a over a billion dollars. So that's the type of people you need to find, but then you need to find out what the assets are and what your risks are. You know, if they're mining, are they mining in Mexico where it's extremely friendly or are they mining in Canada, uh, British Columbia of all places where it's pretty, pretty much impossible to get a mine going. So you have to look at 
your your jurisdiction and, and, and different risks that come with these investments. For cannabis, it was quite difficult to do this because cannabis, there are no successful people who have successfully built a cannabis company and exited because it was been illegal. So what I did was I started to look for the people who are running these type of companies who not only had proved that they could raise a lot of money, you know, $100 million plus, but I was also looking for people who had perhaps successfully exited another successful type of company in another industry like technology. So that is one of the strategies I have used to, to target the companies. Uh, first, find out what trend or sector you want to be involved in, and then look for the resumes of the founders. What have they done? Because the fact of the matter is, these are it is very difficult to do this. Um, and if, if, if you're not partnering with somebody who's done it and been through a thousand mistakes trying to build these things, you're almost certain to lose money. Um, and another thing that I use outside of people and, the, and then the assets they have is where is the money going? And, you know, that is, that is a shoo-in, right? Like if, if Merrill Lynch and Goldman Sachs are funding uh, these companies, if they're participating in it, if you see others, then I feel a little bit better about doing this than if they're relying on me for the funding. Um, I'm looking for credible institutions that are behind these companies. Now, keep in mind, even though the, the hold on the private placement is four months, there is many times where I will hold on to these companies for years because I'm not technically day trading them at all. I'm really looking at a business, and a business at this level has to create value. When they create the value, then I can sell for, for a sizable profit. But I have to allow them time to do that, which is a bit different than looking for, let's say, a, a chart and you're looking for the, the dead cat bounce or you're looking for a stock to break resistance. I'm looking for companies to actually prove out what they say they can do. And so my main focus, and I think everybody listening to this main focus, is you have to really treat these like businesses you would buy in the private sector. If you're not willing to give somebody $10,000 or $25,000 in the private sector, certainly don't do it in the public markets because they, the public markets uh, have, especially the penny stock business, uh, has, a, has, has a far greater chance to blow up in your face than something in the private world. It reminds me of that movie I've just watched recently called Gold. I think it was called uh, Gold with uh, Matthew McConaughey. Yes. You've, you've seen it, yeah? Very much so, isn't it's it? It's actually based. It's inspired by a real thing that happened, uh, Briex. And it's funny because a lot of the most successful people I know actually made a ton of money in it. Uh, they, they had no idea it was fraudulent. But we're talking about a stock that went from $2 to $200 in the matter of uh, about 18 months. Imagine that the, there were people made hundreds of millions of dollars. There are some very successful people out there. And they had no idea it was a scam. It wasn't a, in fact, the funniest story I've heard uh, is, uh, is from a very successful investor named Doug Casey, legendary speculator, actually. And he told me that um, he financed the company uh, at around 2 bucks, and he would have sold it at 10 But there was a six-month hold on the stock. Oh, right. And he's like, by the time I had the chance to sell it, I was selling it for like $150. <laughs> You're kidding. We accidentally made, you know, $100-plus million dollars probably off this thing just because of the hold. Unbelievable. Oh, fascinating. I, I, I didn't even know what the movie was about. I just started watching it and I was like, well, this is a great movie. So if you haven't seen it, guys, go and check it out because I think it will sort of tie in with nicely with this interview. Um, one other question I had here was like, so you've got 
you've got you know the precious metals the the cannabis the the blockchain why have you why have you gone for those particular sectors and why have you avoided the likes of uh you know the tech startups and that Okay, so I'm not tech savvy, so I've simply gone to things that are easy, easy for me to understand. So with, with the precious metals, I totally got it. With natural resources, I get it. You know, if, if China wants to build, uh, you know, a new city or a freeway complex, they need copper, they need all that stuff. So I like that I could understand the actual end use for these businesses. Uh, when it came to blockchain, um, because I had studied so much about gold and its history, Immediately, I got Bitcoin. I was like, okay, this is like, this is like digital gold. This is finite. Uh, you can transfer um, uh, the wealth the, without interference from government, without interference from third parties. It's verifiable. So I got, I got Bitcoin. That's why we, we profiled it at $13 because I was like, this is going to be big. This is going to be huge. Um, we actually were able to help uh, uh, participate in the private placement for one of the first uh, publicly traded blockchain companies, high blockchain. Um, and then with the cannabis, so I had never, I had never tried cannabis as a, as a teenager in my 20s, but I tried it at 32 years old. And I remember I'm like, wow, this is so much better than alcohol because you, you don't get sick. Uh, it, was, it left my system in a few hours. There's no calories. I was like, this is, this is, this is smart. And so I started researching it more. And I honestly think cannabis, um, in fact, the last 10 things I've participated in as far as private placements have all been cannabis. Uh, and that's going over the last 18 months to two years here. And it's because my focus on cannabis uh, is because I believe it is a once in a lifetime opportunity that it is the end of a prohibition here. I don't see how we're going to get this opportunity, something like this in my lifetime again. Um, and I'm not just saying that as somebody who's heavily invested in the sector, but I mean, I don't know what outside of like prostitution will become legal and I can make money off of it. And I don't think I'm going to end up making money off prostitution. So I think with this, this might be the only thing where you have a massive demand for cannabis that's already there. And all we're doing is changing the, the rules from illegal to legal. The demand is there. The money is already being made. We're tapping into a billion dollar industry that's, that's already set up. We don't have to wait for them to, you know, create value. We don't have to wait for everybody to adopt it. The mass adoption is already in place and it will only grow as more and more people try legal cannabis because I'll be honest with you, I went from never doing it to when I am in legal states like uh, Nevada or California, Colorado or, or Canada, um, which is not a state, but, you know, legal is jurisdiction. Um, I, I try it every night. I love it because instead of drinking three-fourths of a bottle of wine, I'm able to just just eat the cannabis, and um, it, it has a much better effect. So that's how I got attracted to those trends. And then I, I end up focusing and just making phone calls and flying over and meeting these people. And then I try to find the few winners. I, I haven't been – I'm not trying to invest into 100 companies. I'm really trying to keep my portfolio down to like 10 companies at the most because I really like to keep up to date and focus on these businesses. And I want to be there at the next round when they finance another company because the thing that's great, if you go through a successful financing through a private placement and exit with a management team, they won't forget you. And you know what happens is in two years down the road when they're starting a new company and the initial pre-IPO round is at 15 cents, you're one of the first people they call. 
And that's, that's where you can make real money because you're financing it for 50 cents and it goes public for a dollar. So right off the bat, you, you're, uh, you're deep into the money. Well, so guys, like once you've, you know, really sort of established your trading career, this could be the next step in terms of where you're going to actually, well, I suppose it gives people a good insight into something they can investigate when they're looking to invest some, some serious capital that they've, that they've made. Now, I think we're going to sort of change tact here and really dive into the crypto stuff. Uh, I asked my guests, I've been asking my guests this, the question of like, you know, what do they think about cryptos and, and uh, ICOs and, and Bitcoin? Where do they think it's going to go? I stopped asking where they think Bitcoin's going to go come January this year um, as it started plummeting. And, uh, and it's, it's always interesting to sort of get the, 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 the different views. And I've asked maybe probably, and they're not necessarily all crypto traders. Some of them, Everyone's looked at it. Everyone's thought about it. Some of them actually actively trade it, uh, and everyone's got different views. Like some of them think it's great. Some of them think, you know, I wouldn't touch it with a barge pole. Others have have got a sort of, um, I suppose, just looking at it from a from a distance. What do you? I suppose, what's your sort of general take on? Um, let's go start with Bitcoin. Okay, so I got involved in the in the cryptocurrency market very early on. But I actually never invested in any of the ICOs. I always saw them as very speculative, and I never fully uh, grasped that we needed more than Bitcoin, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, and I do like Ethereum. I've invested in a few of the coins once they've been launched. Um, but I, I always saw the ICO market as very speculative. Uh, so I, I luckily, I actually avoided that. Um, but for me, for Bitcoin... It is the only decentralized cryptocurrency, which means it can't be hacked and it cannot be manipulated uh, by a single entity like a business that runs it. Like Ethereum, they could dilute the thing down to nothing tomorrow if they wanted to just from one guy making the decision. With Bitcoin, it's much more difficult and it's, it's going to be more and more difficult as it, as it grows and gets older. So I had always wanted to invest in uh, Bitcoin uh, the the infrastructure of it, and the simplest way for me to do it was with a uh, mining mining it. And so I actually, um, my video guy was building these things to mine it at his house, and it was he was making he was producing a lot of Bitcoin in 2012 and 2013. But I was always looking for this grander way. How could we do this? And that is how I ended up involving myself in Hive Blockchain, which went from basically uh, pennies to six seventy five. Uh, it's unfortunate that that's not where the story ends because today it's probably trading for about 50 cents uh, because the cryptocurrencies, of course, imploded. But, uh, you know, I think the fundamentals are there for Bitcoin to be adopt, continue to be adopted into the future uh, just because of its original use. Uh, I know a lot of people are excited about all these things about cryptocurrencies, but the truest and best use for these things is to transfer wealth or to store some sort of wealth. It would be ideal if we didn't have the volatility, uh, but that is really their 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 best case use is that you don't have to have the banks. And I'll, t- I'll give the audience a perfect example. You know, we all think the banks are not going to screw us over. I I received a wire from a company with the name Cannabis in it in June. On July 1st, after banking with Bank of America for over 20 years, they sent me a letter and said, um, due to this recent payment, um, we're closing your account. You have 17 days to get your uh, account moved. 
and uh, it will be shut down in 20 days. And so, I mean, I, I, that was a real wake-up call for me that, wow, man, I, I, I have all this business with Bank of America. I mean, we're talking like seven LLCs, my personal account, my kids. my They shut it all down. And that's the power they have. And that reminded me of why I liked Bitcoin in the first place yeah. because nobody owned it. And it was a currency that was you could trust because it was verifiable not by human beings but by systems in place from computers all around the world where if you wanted to hack it, you had to hack all of them and you had to go back in time as well, which basically made it not possible. So, you know, that's why I like cryptocurrency. And that's why if you're going to trade Bitcoin, you're just straight speculating. I'll be honest with you, Cam. I went to the Bitcoin conference in January in Miami. I never tell you, I met so many plumbers and con- and construction people and waiters and waitresses who all quit their jobs to go full-time cryptocurrency trader. And I guarantee you they all lost because they all sold Bitcoin and they jumped into the ICOs, which 95% of them went to zero. So now they're, you know, you know, so, so I just want everybody to understand if you buy cryptocurrency, first of all, this is the most speculative thing you can do because you're talking about not just an early stage technology. Uh, you're, you're, you're talking about a system that is, that is challenging the status quo. It's challenging the Federal Reserve. It's challenging uh, the banks. It's challenging third-party uh, groups from everything from title agencies to an escrow company. Um, so they're, they, they're, they're challenging everything that we know about our monetary system. So you're, you're extremely speculative if you're involved in this space. So just be careful. Okay, cool. That's, okay, cool. Oh, I've got a bit of an echo going on on your end. Um, so, so I mean, so Bitcoin's gone up to twenty k, and it's come back down to sort of where it was about before it made this big big run. What do you think? Where do you think it's going to go from here? I, I mean, I'll actually say I, I think there's there seems to be a bit of a resurgence. I mean, people have started talking about it again more often. It's almost like they've started to forget the big drop and they're starting to build up a bit more momentum. That's, that's my general feel from what I'm hearing from other people and, and on the internet. I mean, what's your thoughts? Well, it, it's, it's um, you look at the last run. It went from uh, in 2012, 2013, it went from like, I want to say two or three bucks. Then it went to 50, uh, pulled back. And then it went to, gosh, went to 1,200 and collapsed down to 200, and then we had that big move in 2017. Um, I think we won't have to wait from 2013 to 2017 for the next rally, so I don't think we'll have to wait for that same time frame. So the next rally will come sooner than later. But I, I would look at it like this, and I would look at it actually like a mining company because that's what these things are mining to produce the coins, the computers. But it does cost... Um, about $6,000 for most of these mining companies to produce a Bitcoin. And if you look at the commodity market, usually when uh, a commodity sells for less than it costs to produce it, you go into a liquidation uh, period with the actual companies that produce the commodity. And then you have you know, the beginnings of a bull market that turn into an epic bull market because of the scenario. Um, and I think that's where we are right now. We're in the liquidation phase still. So it's still going to be ugly. It still could go down. But I think your, your downside is limited. 
But what you're seeing is a lot of the smaller miners go away and, and liquidate. You're seeing the publicly traded companies go upside down. They can't raise money. You know, a year ago today, I could have snapped my finger and helped raise $200 million for a blockchain company. And we did. Hive Blockchain actually raised about $250 million uh, in 2017. Today, I don't know if anybody would answer the phone if I tried to raise a million. That's how bad the sentiment is right now. Yeah. So those are all good signs, but we're still not there yet because they're, because people still have hope and the smaller miners are still trying to hold on. The little guy is still trying to produce. You know, he's producing Bitcoin for $6,000, $6,800, and then selling it for, you know, whatever, $6,000 or less even. So, you know, we're not there yet. We're getting close. But I I probably would just leave it be for a few more months. And um, But certainly the makings of a a nice bull market is there. And the, the enthusiasm and the infrastructure is better than ever. So when the next one runs, I suspect Bitcoin will go to 100,000. Uh, if, if, you know, going by 2012, when I went to a Bitcoin conference, there was, uh, you know, 500 people. You go to a Bitcoin conference now, which there's one every single weekend of the year, and you'll, you know, there'll be five, 10,000 people show up to these things. And the quality of people that are going to these Bitcoin conferences are favorable to investors. Uh, they, they, these, these people, it's nothing but entrepreneurs and very smart um, techies, uh, geeks, as I would call them in my younger years. So I, I, I think that is also a reason to be to, to take a position in this space over the next few months, just because of the quality of the people that are driving this space. Uh, you, you go to these conferences, there are not too many investors, and that means you're still at the early stages. And, and that's the same for cannabis. Uh, I was at a cannabis conference earlier in the month. And they had uh, about 250 people at a special session I was in. And they said, how many people have invested in cannabis? And out of the 250, there was like six of us who raised our hands. I was like, wow. Every, that means everybody in this room is in the building part of the, 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 the sector. They're building cannabis companies. They're building publicly traded companies. They're building farms and products. The investors still aren't even involved. And uh, going into blockchain and cannabis – uh, once the institutional money comes in space, they're, they're really the, the U.S. ones are not involved yet. Imagine, it's like the Hoover Dam going through a garden hose. The institutional money is not involved yet in a big and meaningful way. But when it does, yeah. my goodness, these things will go parabolic. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And so, so do, do you see there being like a tipping point, like an obvious tipping point for for the likes of Bitcoin or any of the other um uh other coins do i see what did you oh, say sorry do you see there being like a tipping, a tipping point where there's like an obvious tipping, tipping point. point so i'll give you an example like so um one of my past guests said that uh he said if amazon picks it up it's going it'll go if amazon picks mm-hmm. bitcoin and ethereum up or one of the other that price is just going to go uh, uh, through the roof do you see like an another obvious tipping point you know, it's funny. In, in in November of 2017, my maid, God, I hope she doesn't listen to this podcast, but my <laughs> maid told me she just bought Bitcoin and she made like a thousand bucks in two weeks. What should I do? And I swear to God, I was texting the top to all my friends and I was like, but I don't want to go against God. What's his face? Um, 
the uh, cybersecurity guy, I can't think of his name, he's on Twitter saying it's going to a million dollars. And I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to go against all these super smart people. But, you know, so I would say for me, my tipping point on the other, on the flip side, I would be looking for, you know, major institutions to throw in the towel or, uh, you know, like Fidelity is heavily involved in crypto. Um, they're, they're doubling down on the crypto. They're not, they're not getting out. Uh, so that's a bullish, that's a bullish thing on the long-term picture, but short-term, I have not seen the crypto bulls really throw in the towel at all. Um, you know, really, honestly, it feels more like uh, gold in 2011 when it pulled back at 1900 and everybody said it was just a dip. Meanwhile, it was on its way to a thousand dollars over the next few years. I feel like we're more in that, that time period right now. So I haven't seen any tipping points. The tipping points I'd be looking for is to either see an institution exit it that was already involved in it or just just to hear the average retail investor give up. But I'm not seeing anybody really give up on it uh, too much. Even the people losing money are still clinging on. And and what about what about the ICOs? I mean, not, well, not necessarily the ICOs, but the, uh, the altcoins. I mean, what... Which of those do you think you would sort of, you know, put put a bet on? You know, I I like Dash because of its usability, uh, Litecoin because of its position and legacy in the crypto market. It's the silver to Bitcoin, and I also like um, Ethereum, you know, because it's because it's of its utility and it's and essentially all these altcoins are using Ethereum as their platform, so it's become a key player. And, of course, there's also first-mover advantage. So people need to consider that they're going to speculate because now we're not even trading, right? We're speculating. And, you know, when you speculate, never never underestimate the power of first-mover advantage. And I'll give you an example. Uh, think about somebody who's alt-Facebook or alt-YouTube. Um, they don't have a chance. It's never going to happen. You can get excited as you want about some other video streaming service or social site. It's never going to happen. Same goes for alt-Google, right? It's never going to happen. So now, I know the altcoins are sexy, but really, Bitcoin is the dominator, first mover advantage. Ethereum, when it comes to smart contracts and platform for others, that is first mover advantage. Litecoin has been second to Bitcoin or Dash when it comes to a payment system. These are all the first movers. They have first mover advantage. I don't see the other altcoins doing that well, to be perfectly honest with you, other than when you're in the middle of a bubble and everybody's trying to buy, you know, I remember when when silver went to 50, people started buying silver or copper coins. I mean, literally, that's like buying garbage. And But people were doing it because, you know, copper is selling for $3 a pound and the, the coin guys selling these coins for like five bucks an ounce. I mean, total con job. And that's what a lot of these altcoins were. Because the, the real structure and infrastructure of the cryptocurrency market is going to be with these four dominating uh, players. But if you've never done it, honestly, I would just buy Bitcoin. Because Bitcoin's the only decentralized one, and it's the only one that you can truly make anonymous if you want. But, you know, definitely um, you're still speculating. But if I had to put some money in one of these cryptocurrencies and not look at it for five to ten years, I'd go Bitcoin all the way. And if anybody just looks at it like a stock, we all know shares outstanding. There's only 16 million shares outstanding. Think of it that way. Just do the logic. You start getting the whole world adopting cryptocurrency. You, you know, you start getting people who uh, big institutions involved in it for as as a as a private wealth client. You know, just allocating one percent. 
Bitcoin will go to a million dollars because you just have to take the decimal point and keep moving it to the right on the zeros or moving it to the left. There's there's, you know, um, you know, it's 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 finite, but it's it's divisible. So you can you can you can divide it up by as much as you want. Superb. Right. So, look, I mean, I suppose there's some books you could recommend for the listeners out there that you may have read in the past that either will get them into this um, into cryptos a bit bit deeper, give you give them some insight there or alternatively um, into this private placement. Sure. You know, first at futuremoneytrends.com, if they subscribe, it's free. And if you scroll down, I actually have reports on blockchain and private placements. As for books, that's an interesting thing. You know, for books, I love the stuff that Trace Mayer puts out. I also like James Altucher. Um, but, you know, for the private placements, man, that's that's a stumped one. I don't know if I've ever read a book, book about private placements. There must be one. Uh, but I've actually never seen one. I've just done it from experience. But I would say anybody who's looking to get involved in either crypto or private placements, you know, definitely just take the time to really read up on it, research it. And get to know the people that are involved in these activities. And if you have any questions, you can hit the contact us page on Future Money Trends. Ultimately, I do answer every single question. Sure, I listened to the uh, James Altucher show uh, podcast. Really, really interesting. And he's got some. He is actually an ex uh, hedge fund dude. I don't know what he did in there. I don't don't think he was a manager, but he was obviously worked for a few firms, and and he has a few interesting traders on there. So if anyone's wanting to, to check out another podcast, I can definitely recommend James's. Um, right, so so uh, Daniel, what's the best way for the guys to to get hold of you going forward? Go go to futuremoneytrends.com. You can hit the contact us page or subscribe. It's it's free. I, it's it's all advertising based, so you're not gonna you're never gonna get pitched anything. Uh, but you know it it basically half the letter is about how I credit. Uh, financial wealth, and then the other half is what I'm doing now. So if I'm writing a check into something, I just tell everybody here, this is what I'm doing. No one has to do it. It's kind of a look-over-the-shoulder approach. Superb. All right, folks. Hey, look, Daniel, it's been absolutely brilliant having you on the show. I know it's been a different show for everyone out there, but I think it's been quite fascinating and is really like, you know, you got the website there, Future Money Trends. I mean, this is sort of the future, guys, for, for once, you know, you've got that capital after um, mastering the markets and looking at a place to put it. I mean, I hadn't thought about, you know, cannabis as being an opportunity. Um, I think that in itself just sort of highlights the fact that, you know, guys, there is other stuff out there that we need to be thinking about. So, look, thanks very much for coming on, Daniel. Um, I hope you have a great rest of the day. Uh and uh, we'll get this up on air very soon. Thank you very much for having me on the show. All right, guys, hope you enjoyed that interview with Daniel. Now, look, we've got some fantastic guests coming up on the show here, so stay tuned for that. Uh, In the meantime, whilst you're waiting, why don't you head over to tradingnut.com. Just a reminder that there's that special bonus there. I don't know how long it's going to be there for, so check out the Robot Traders Club. There's uh, information on that over there as well. There should be a link in the show notes, so check that out. The show description, there's a link that'll get you there if you're on your phone and walking to work or whatever you're doing. All right, folks, until next time, have a great trading week.